Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Just getting back to the the results before we dive into the solution. So you've mentioned there's some sites that have really, really low concentrations. Some sites are really, really high. Obviously, the wetland environment is going to act like a natural filter to capture and retain microplastics. But what what do you generally see? Are there, are there, is there very high concentrations of microplastics in our Manly Beach and, and other sort of locations? Or is, is it something to be concerned about or, or not? Yeah, I, once again, I think the issue is is very much an urban issue. So where we're finding low levels is usually at those kind of more remote beach sites mm. or where there's sparse population inputs mm. for the most part. The sites of concern are around our, our major cities and towns. So mm. there could be the local beaches where... You know, there's inputs from stormwater, or it could be a you know a river iron discharge. You know, Sydney Harbour's mm. quite bad. I mean, we've sampled many sites in Sydney Harbour, and they're high all the way along. And and when you get out to the coast, it obviously dilutes a bit and and impacts the less. So to answer your question, Brad, yeah, there, there's definitely sites of concern, but it's probably our estuaries. Uh, are the ones that are at greater risk because there's less of that dilution factor from the ocean. It's not to say that the the ocean sites aren't, but the, there's probably greater risks in our estuaries is what we're finding. Yeah. And so with an uh, ocean in, environment, there is obviously that tidal flushing and the, and the wave action can basically take it away. But in those estuarine environments, we have less flushing. So microplastics essentially retained more easily in these environments. But I guess when you say it's bad or it's a concern, are you talking about from an ecological health perspective or are you talking about potentially from a human health perspective or both? Well, definitely from an ecological perspective, firstly, you know, with that amount of microplastics floating around, then we know it's being ingested pretty much in all aquatic species we look at now, there's evidence of microplastic ingestion. I'm sure you've all seen, and Michelle talked about pulling things out of turtles, but mm, you know, mm. there's seabirds, there's fish, there's our shellfish. It's pretty much everywhere. And while I suppose the science is really, this is kind of where the science is at in trying to understand what bigger ecological picture mm. or the impacts that that plastic is having. It's going to take time. Yeah. So we know it's kind of affecting maybe individuals, individual species, individual mm. organisms. 
But the broader ecological effects, there's been a few studies done around the world to show kind of transference through the food chain. But then the so what question, which is I suppose mm. we're getting to, there's still a question mark over that. From living this and breeding it, it's because we're just actually getting to the research. You know, we've done podcasts with birds ingesting plastic and yes. we've talked about, you know, you know, Jennifer Lavers. Well, what's next? Well, we don't actually know because we haven't researched it. There's not enough mm. time, effort, money. And it's one of those things that over time we're going to find out how bad this really is because there's going to be more and more time. But That's how right. bad is it going to affect us? We, we, we don't know. Yeah, so to, to kind of touch on the human aspect, yeah. that is even further away in understanding what the potential impacts are. I mean, there's people working towards it, as you said, Jeremy, but it's a slow process. The first kind of government jurisdiction to actually control for microplastics is the Californian state. They're implementing a control on microplastics in their water supply because we know it's in our water. You know, we're drinking mm. it, we're eating it, it's in our food, it's in the air we breathe. So it's all around us, unfortunately. But we can study this for the next 10, 20 years and still not come to a, a firm conclusion. But we need to draw a line in the sand at some stop point it. and say, yeah, we either stop it. So we need to use the precautionary principle. So mm. it's not natural to be in such high levels or at all in the environment. So therefore, we need to reduce it in the first place and then draw some line in terms of saying, well, this is how much is going to be a protection level and just vary that over time as more data and information becomes available. So what's going to drive real change in this space? Like you, you talk about this precautionary principle and I'm sure you've, you've as, you, as you touched on before, you looked at a bunch of contaminants that have been found to have impacts or at least suspected and they get progressively banned. But you, you sort of indicating that we're probably a long way off banning microplastics or plastics anytime soon. Yeah. What would you see as a major driver for change? Like from my perspective, a key driver from probably California's perspective was the potential for litigation. <laughs> yes. Do you think yeah. plastic manufacturers are, are almost leaving themselves open to a massive unprecedented lawsuit <laughs> because of their essentially manufacture and distribution of this product, which could be very devastating to the human health? Yeah, I mean, that that's, <laughs> that's a, a, a can of worms, I suppose, you're opening there, Brad. Mm. I mean, potentially. Potentially is the answer to that. I mean, there's... Companies now with this extended producer responsibility that they're taking back their products that they make mm. and, and reusing or recycling those. So will we see that in, in terms of microplastic? I mean, it's, a, it's probably difficult to attribute a source to, to something that's fragmented so much mm. unless there's some signature there that we can draw back to a product. But definitely the pellets or the nurdles, as they're commonly known, probably is an one which you could get to a source quicker. And definitely there's been incidences of prosecutions, of spills of those, not, not in Australia, mm. but elsewhere. Mm. So it could go down that route, but I suspect it won't. But to get mm. to your question of how are we going to get change, I think you've got to show, particularly humans, show harm, that there mm. is a likely cause for some concern for humans is probably the quickest driver for change. Environmental effects to the environment is good, and but you still need kind of that public uh, support yeah. and opinion to drive that change in government. 
And the science is still out, I guess, in that regard, in terms of finding a direct link between microplastic contaminate or ingestion and, you know, decrease human health. But you've obviously been looking at, at pollutants for a long time. Scott, do you think there's cause for concern around the potential link between plastic ingestion and, and human health? Uh, most definitely. I mean, you, you touched on it before, Brad, where you talked about decreases in human sperm counts, for instance. Mm, mm, I'm not saying mm. that's directly attributed to plastics, but mm. there, there's a lot of chemicals that we're bombarded with, and plastics is potentially one of those that could be contributing to some of these effects. So it's hard to tease out. Mm. And as you know, plastics, there's all different types of plastics and there's lots of chemicals. So the phthalates mm. you mentioned. And mm. the, the reason why, if I draw an example to BPA, bisphenol A, remember mm. that was has been taken out of various drinking product, plastic bottles, because there was concern, particularly to babies and, and developing little people, because they are exposed to chemicals, the, the bisphenol A is an endocrine disruptor. It's a known endocrine disruptor. So it affects growth and development in young, not just in humans, but all organisms. And so it was taken out because of the concern it could be, le- well, it, it was shown to leach out of the plastics and into you know the water of babies' bottles. And so that was an obvious precautionary principle approach that was applied. And Mm. you could say the same with phthalates. These chemicals need to be added or some chemicals need to be added to a plastic polymer to create its product, to make it its shape or its flexibility or whatever. Otherwise, the product won't be able to to be made. So the chemicals are important, but it's the type of chemicals that you use is really – now. Just to t- finish off on the BPA, all they've done is replaced, they've legislated BPA, all they've done is replaced BPA with another bisphenol product. So there's bisphenol S and bisphenol B and there's all these other, which are slightly different, different. chemically, the same parent compound, but they say they're, they're less harmful in terms of an endocrine effect, but there's now studies coming out to show that it's, <laughs> Well, hang on. No, that's not the case. Wow. Wow. And that is a con- that's just a, you know, they're just going to grind that process out until they get made to stop that process, you know. It's blatant and it's so obvious what they're doing, but um uh. mm. so so I was mad with this amazing data set that you've gathered obviously identified microplastics are a big problem around Australia and and I guess there's various sources and urban stormwater seems to be a key source, but and there's a potential link between human health and microplastic ingestion. But what are we going to do about it? How do we solve this problem? Who who would like to have a first pass crack? If you, Michelle, if you were prime minister, or if you had the, uh, Scott Morrison's ear, or the ear of uh, the now uh, federal environment minister, or one of the state environment ministers, and you, obviously you're talking to a bunch of councils that you've mentioned before, what what are you saying that these groups need to do to actually solve this problem, or at least go a long way to sort of addressing it? Ooh. It's a hard one. Stop it altogether, which we know is not going to happen, of course. But I think being more aware of it, that, you know, Mm. it's making that uh, connection. As you said, people are drawn to that can floating down a waterway and Mm. wanting to solve those problems. I think people, you know, have to make that connection to the big stuff breaks up into little stuff. And I think being more proactive in terms of 
not necessarily the infrastructure. I know that's what you guys are involved with, but it's in those areas of hotspots, and that's what OSMAP has done, is identified a number of key hotspots around the country, is then to be able to work right back up catchment and go, okay, we've got this hotspot. You know, where is it potentially coming from? And then we can try and work. And as Scott said, a nurdles, for example, is something that, you know, if we find a, a fresh load of nurdles that are on a waterway, we can ultimately track back up catchment to try and mm. figure out where they're coming from. And then it works within you know, businesses and organisations themselves, making them aware. And, and like you guys said, with, you know, California legislation, it's making people responsible for those that are that are ultimately at the basis of this with the potential spills and mismanagement mm. of the plastics right within, within these organisations. So I think that's, uh, you know, and, and making people more aware of it as well with the public education yeah. and awareness. And that's obviously a key arm of your OSMAP does, you know, creating awareness like citizen science obviously helps collect data, but obviously builds awareness with the citizens that get involved in this process. Yeah. Scott, what do you think? <laughs> How can we uh, get in front of the ears of these, of their federal? Don't hold back, man. Because <laughs> Michelle has to be politically correct because she's program director. Um, but you, 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 you could potentially be just uh, classified as an annoying scientist. So you yeah, can yeah, just that's true. Science, science the hell out of this pro- problem. Yeah, uh, but I'm also, I kind of come from a management point of view as well. So I kind of understand how, how the system works. So... Yeah, I think we need to go down the track of like the California has done, not just for drinking water, but also for environmental water protection levels. So Mm. ideally we would institute – so we have water quality guidelines, uh, ANZAC water quality Mm. guidelines for a whole range of chemicals. So, you know, ideally we we should be implementing – one for microplastics. So we they're called trigger trigger points yeah. or trigger values. Um, so above which it triggers a response in that local agency or state agency to do something. You know, like we've done with OSMAP is create a level of which we say, well, this is high, but really it's then attributing, well, it's high because it's likely to cause an impact. And that's why it hasn't been implemented at the stage is because, you know, the science is, is lagging, which if I was in the word of government, I'd say fund some more research in this yeah. space, definitely. Yeah. That's, yeah. So that's the shortfall. And as you said with Jen Lavers, in Australia we are so far behind, not just in the plastics and microplastics space, but in most of our sciences compared to Europe and, and North America in the amount of dollars. I mean, we're a smaller, obviously, economy mm-hmm. in the country, but we can still put more to it. So more dollars definitely into the plastic thing and a derivation of a, a guideline for microplastics and I would think rather than go down all right it's a pellet or a fiber or whatever we just legislate for all microplastics so it's Mm. total microplastic loads is what I'm thinking rather than because there's you know there's so many nuances within (laughs) within plastics so you just get a total like they do with total pHs for instance yeah yeah and it's above that bam it triggers a response yeah, it's crazy to think, like you mentioned ANZAC, and almost every waterway in Australia has a, a water quality objective for various water quality indicators, you know, pH, solids, nutrients, you name it. But it's bizarre that we actually don't have one for microplastics. So I think for me, that's a key change that needs to happen. Like I totally echo what you guys have said around building awareness, 
getting more science around this issue, but certainly setting a trigger limit for microplastics would be very appropriate. And this is kind of what's similar. We, we've talked about the, the California situation many times in this, well, in this well, show. Does Scotty know how it all started? I mean, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk to it, Jeremy? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, in episode three or four, we spoke to Pappy, doctor, not doctor, but our Jim Lenhart. <laughs> and at that time, he, he told us about this is going back two years ago, longer. He told us about California. We, we knew California was highly regulated with stormwater. We started looking into this more and we went, well, if these guys can do it, why can't we? So we, Ocean Protect and Stormwater New South Wales, actually came up with a zero litter ocean policy document. I'm not sure if you guys actually jumped on and supported it. I, I, I don't know if you know anything about it, yes. but it's basically modelled off of California. It's going, well, they just went no and, and progressively no. So they started with <laughs> trash, then they went down to sediments and, you know, nitrogen and, 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 you know, now down to microplastics and microplastics within drinking water. So that was been a big part of, of Oceanmatex really big push is to go, well, if California can't do it or if, if California can do it, why can't we? So we'll, we'll get some information to you. We've got a bunch of great organizations all around the country supporting it and we'd love your input, you know, and, and love you to be on board. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And also, like California, set a target of zero litter in their waterways, uh, and that's essentially what we've advocated for. But equally, we could set a target of zero microplastics in our waterways. I mean, these these are aspirational targets, but they are very appropriate and relevant. And if we don't know currently about what the human health impacts are of microplastics and plastics in our waterways, that might be a suitable target. And that essentially has uh, provides essentially a legislative motivation to actually get, work towards appropriate solutions. I, I see that as a real no-brainer. And, and obviously, we'd be sort of advocating, say, hey, look, obviously, we need to promote better stormwater management we, 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 it's consistent with what we've seen like we don't necessarily think we need to put devices everywhere but certainly in our pollutant mm. hotspots where basically you've got hard a lot of impervious areas and a lot of people that's generally where we see the highest pollutant loads being generated and obviously in your analysis it sounds like that's where you're seeing the highest microplastic contamination in the receiving environment so yeah yeah i'd agree i mean i think we can go some way i mean i i a zero waste to stormwater or zero microplastic mm. is would be the ultimate goal. We're well off that at this moment, but mm. you've got to start somewhere. And, and as you mm. said, yeah. an aspirational target will hopefully drive some policy change. 
we keep going back to the waste management hierarchy, you know, where avoid, reuse. We, like, if you follow that, you, you're pretty much, it's your mantra down to, to what needs to be done. And make no mistake, we, we know we're going uphill with, with, with this battle. But, you know, going back to it, California are making waves around the world, literally by doing this. And to Brad's point earlier, there's a big stick behind these regulations because if they don't do it, they can be sued mm. by, by anyone for, yes. for not doing it. And that's something that we don't have down here in um, Australia, which is a good thing. You know, our legal system doesn't need any more supporters. But it, it is a big difference. It's regulated with a big stick over there. So it's something yeah. that we need to keep in mind. But it's interesting, you, your comment also around the type of plastic. Yeah, well, we obviously recognise tyre wear and tear as a, a key source, but you, your comment around how it's a key source is big plastic basically breaking up into little pieces of plastic. So we do know, to, to Michelle's point, maybe we can't get rid of all plastic from our urban environments, but certainly we are seeing a progressive ban of single-use plastics. Yes. And certainly we see the majority of our of plastics in our marine environment, the majority of plastics in our devices are single-use items. And I suspect a very large proportion of your microplastics are from single-use items being broken down. Is that a fair call? Like, a, And obviously we're supposed to be seeing a progressive ban of single-use plastics. Obviously, you've only got three years' worth of data, but are you seeing any sort of potential trends in terms of, dare I say, reduced plastic loads or reduced plastic numbers? Or obviously, when COVID hits, that changes things as well? Yeah, I mean, it's probably too early to say Mm. because some of that source tracking stuff, we've only probably got a year or or more data from. So, yeah, I mean, the COVID thing was definitely, I think there was obvious changes because you know the amount of people out the amount of people driving was reduced and and therefore the change in in the amount of microplastics as a result of that i imagine would be also you know um, a relationship there so we've kind of only got really beginning of covid data a little bit before so we need this now that we're kind of coming out of that Mm. to see if it does ramp up but yeah, there's definitely relationships to to use and activity in an area mm. and, and the amounts we're seeing. I guess the question is, what's next for Ozmap? Well, who knows? More data collection. Look, I mean, <laughs> our, our program, you know, it's it's ongoing. You know, we have new groups, new people wanting to join our group and collect data in their local areas, and and of highlighting us to hotspots all over. I just came back from Perth, did some great work over there with local people. And, you know, the Swan River is another example of huge loads of microplastic coming down these waterways. So Mm. it's still being able to identify where there's high spots and there's low spots. But then also once we find these high spots is then working with local groups and local councils and governments to be able to track it back. I mean, that's where we are really interested in. And then developing, as Scott said, developing that potential category for microplastic hotspots and when then mm. we can we can step right in and uh, and help in that with with state and federal governments with a bit of luck. Mm. Well, just to add to that, one thing we're we're developing now, or just about finished, is a microplastic reduction framework document that can lead community, local government, state agencies through the process of the options available to them. So oh, this wow. so cool. this is something we've. Uh, got support from the New South Wales EPA on and so this is being finalised now and so that will be a a working document that people can use as a strategy to obviously reduce some of their hopefully loads and one part of that strategy is things like using 
stormwater netting and, and devices um, to trap it at, at the source. So, And sorry, when's that document coming out, Scott? Well, we're just finalising now, so it, probably in the next few weeks it will be ah. finalised. Mm. Oh, that's, that's, that's very exciting. You know, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people are, they do recognize this as a problem, but they do need direction uh, on actually how to appropriately address it. And I think that that's, that's fantastic to hear you guys are working on that because currently it's lacking. Well, that's, that's one thing we can talk about it, but then, you know, it's the doing part of it. So, you know, without yeah. people like mm. Michelle and Scott out there actually giving this guidance, gee, we've got no hope. Well, on the topic of hope, one, one final question, though. Are you optimistic? So this is a big problem. Plastic is a big problem facing our marine species and likely us. Are you optimistic of us actually appropriately addressing this problem? If you want to be honest and say no, that's okay. We can dishearten all our listeners. <laughs> that's just an FYI. I think the more evidence we get, the more research that we can do to look at the impacts and when people can draw a direct impact from plastics on human health, which was getting very mm. close and we can allude to absolutely, then more people are mm. going to want to stand up and take notice and to be involved. Yeah. And it, it's a holistic way of working, you know, right from the youngest people that we have through to everybody. And it, it starts right there in the homes as well. But mm. I think, you know, in time, it may not be in our lifetime, but, uh, you know, hopefully for years for come, to come, we'll be able to find some more answers and the solutions to go with it as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm positive as well. I mean, tend to be an optimist in, in most things I do. As I said, I've been working in this space for 15 years or so. And yeah, I've seen change. I've seen positive change, particularly in the last five years in terms of just the, as Michelle said, the growing awareness mm. in, the, in the community, in the, in the general populace is something, and that has driven a lot of the change it's kind of been a bottom-up mm, approach mm. To, to, to change, changing industry directions, you know, and things like getting rid of the microbeads out of toothpaste and, and cleaning yeah. products as driven by the dollar of the companies mm. selling those products because of us as consumers making a choice. You know, we mm. have the mm. power in some instances to, to make, some big changes. So, so in the last five years, it's been really positive. You know, the you know the plastic bag ban, the container deposit legislation. Now we've got a national plastics plan. There's state plans. These are all heading in the right direction. So I'm positive that we're going to get there sooner rather than later. Hopefully before I die, Michelle. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, that we we have some controls in place. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that it'll, it'll come. Well, um, so are we because there's people like you guys out there doing the wonderful work that you do. Michelle, when I first met you, you were the most energetic person <laughs> and just had so much information and were just you were and I can still still tell you you, you haven't changed and it's wonderful to see you grow and, and wonderful to, to get you on the podcast to A, hear, hear what you've been up to but B, to share the story of the amazing work you do and Scotty, mm. mate, superstar buddy, I'll always remember you for being the snail penis man. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, but from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for the work you do because it's not just about going out there and collecting the, 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 the data. It's about getting out there and, and doing the great work in the community, especially um, a, a lot of the northern beaches, which is fantastic. But it's so important that we do convey this message and it's tireless work, but you guys do a fantastic job. So thank you very much for taking the time today to talk to all our listeners. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, boom, boom. 
Chat to Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.